right, it's morning huddle time. Good morning. You, no, I'm not saying it works. I wish you Godspeed. I, I, Godspeed with all of that. I think that's really, really nice. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure what kind of success you're going to have with that today because the world, my friend, has changed. Right. Latin American construction workers, they have different needs. They have completely different needs. These awards have a huge... Um, like criteria that you have to fill out and they usually have a community service or community relations portion them, uh, you know the most productive uh, with a high performance value um and you know sometimes it's 11 o'clock at night yeah. funny isn't uh, yeah I, not not for me not for uh, me at 11 o'clock i am guaranteed to be snoring so so um <laughs> Good morning. It is morning huddle time. I'm Chad Prinky here as always with my co-host and producer, Stacy Holzinger. Stacy, how are you this morning? I'm doing good. How are you guys? I'm doing great. We, we yeah. have Kevin Henderson here with us this morning. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, can't, can't complain myself. Uh, happy to be here and excited to do this. Kevin's joining us from Dallas, Texas. Kevin is a uh, so. Oh, right, yeah. So you're yeah, I was just gonna say, like, this say. isn't Eric Pacifici. Um, so uh, 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 Kevin Henderson is Eric's uh, much smarter, much better looking, <laughs> more talented partner in uh, in SMB Law Group. Uh, uh, Eric had a last minute emergency pop up. And Kevin stepped right in uh, to uh, to fill the space, uh, and I'm confident that we're we're going to have a a fantastic uh, show with Kevin. Thank you so much for uh, for for stepping in and and uh, be doing a solid for your partner and for us. Yeah, absolutely. While I appreciate the the kind words, I don't know the fact that my partner's calendar filled up and mine was wide open at the last minute uh, <laughs> speaks too much to that. But uh, super excited to be here. So. Uh, look, I, you got you got your priorities straight. You're on the that's huddle. Right. He's Indeed. not. That's that's the deal. Well, we're, we're uh, again, we're super uh, glad to have you. Today's conversation is really going to revolve around um, you know a topic that you are expert in, and I'd like to I'd like to I'll, I'll preface the topic, and then I'd like to you know give a little context to our audience for sort of who you are and how you got to where you are, so that so that we have some perspective on you, but. But the the uh, the focus of today's conversation is what you should be doing if you are a contractor thinking about how and when and if to sell your business, and uh, and so SMB Law Group has a really specific specialty practice um, focused on that type of work. Uh, but I'll let you expand on that, Kevin. Yeah, no, absolutely, um, and and that is that is our whole focus. So I'm I'm an M and A lawyer uh, by training. Uh, been a been a lawyer for a long time. Um, I started doing kind of large cap M and A at the at the large law firms. Right, went went to Wall Street out of law school and and did did the whole you know work for J P Morgan and AT and T and Halliburton and and all that kind of stuff. You know the who's who of public companies and things like that. Um, and uh, but have always kind of had a, a, an interest in in entrepreneurship and, and small business and things like that. Um, and, uh, I, you know, my partner, Eric, who I was filling in for, um, you know, I've, I've known Eric for many years. Um, he got involved with this 
this community I didn't know existed on Twitter called SMB Twitter and, and, and this concept called ETA, Entrepreneurship Through Acquisition. And um, I was looking for a change in my career, had been transitioning out of the large law firms. And he kind of called me up one day. He's like, hey, have you heard of ETA, this whole this whole ecosystem of people like leaving Wall Street and buying small businesses, you know, just incredibly talented people um, buying and rolling up small businesses and just doing incredible things. It's like our traditional M&A practice, but $5 million instead of $5 billion. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously M&A is not, not a new concept. I've been doing it my whole career, but the, this, this whole thesis of the small business world um, was, was kind of new to me. Um, and so we, we sort of jumped in, started participating in the Twitter community and, and immediately realized um, our DMs were blowing up with, hey, I've got an $8 million deal under LOI, can't find a lawyer, you know, do you have someone to recommend? And we all of a sudden thought, Man, we're 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 onto something. There's like a a a dearth of of high quality, experienced M and A practitioners servicing this space. So um, that's how SMB Law Group was born. Uh, so we launched we launched last year. We're coming up on our one year anniversary in May, um, and it's just it's been it's been like a rocket ship. Um, and you know we can we can talk a little bit more about. M&A more broadly and what we're seeing in the market and things like that. But what, what you see on the front page of the Wall Street Journal and on Fortune Magazine and things like that about M&A is just drastically different than what we're seeing in the small business world. Um, wow, just, man. Now I'm dying to hear exciting, more about that. Dying exciting time to be part of it. All right, cool. So, uh, Stacy, I want to uh, give you the, the space that you need to uh, focus on our, our uh, you know, uh, virtual audience uh, so that we can gather questions and bring those to Kevin here uh, in the last few minutes of, um, of the show. So uh, I'll bring you, we'll, we'll bring you back as per usual. All right. And Kevin, let, let's, let's dive in. I want to start there. That's, that's a fascinating, yeah. uh, you know, sort of intro. What, so, so juxtapose that, what are we hearing and what's, you know, what, what are we hearing on the walls from the wall street journal and what, what are we seeing, you know, really play out, in, in the in the M and A world for small business, yeah, I I think when you look broadly in M and A commentary, you're seeing a lot of discussion about the market just being uh, being down, right? We've we've been in sort of a a, a hot, really hot M and A market the past couple of years. Um, you know, we had kind of the the immediate sort of economic dip from the the pandemic, um, and then sort of came out of it like a rocket ship, and and. 2021 and 2022, you know, um, fiscal years were just absolute banner years for M&A broadly. Um, and you saw mega mergers happening, right? I, I already referenced Twitter and we all, we all know what happened there, right? One of the, one of the largest tech transactions to occur on the past several years. I, I still you know. can't tell if it was an accident. Nobody knows. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to tell, but, um, you know, it was was a super hot market, but as um, as you know, interest rates started to rise. We all know what's happening with interest rates right. uh, very acutely. I assume, um, uh, you know, all that started to change, and so in in the M and A world, and and I'm seeing a question pop up. What does M and A stand for? I apologize for for glossing right over it. M and A is the the kind of legal and business jargon for mergers and acquisitions. So we're, we're talking about buying and selling businesses when we're, when we're referring to the M&A world. Um, uh, it, it's kind of fallen off a cliff. And so you're seeing commentary. In fact, I, I wish I remember where it was, but I just saw a headline 
uh, a day or two ago that I want to say said M&A volume um, coming into the end of the first quarter 2023 is down like 30 to 40 percent over right. last year. Right. It's right. just it's just hit an absolute wall. Yeah. Uh, everybody's everybody's uh, the, the, the narrative is everybody's sitting on their wallets. Everybody's waiting. Everybody's exactly. scared. You know, that's and, and it's a similar narrative to what we're seeing for, what, for whatever it's worth in, in terms of construction, new starts and things like that. Totally. We've got it's a very similar narrative where people are saying, like, everybody's holding up and, and you know, uh, sitting on their wallet. But again, I think if you if you look you have boots on the ground, that's that's a macro picture, but it's not what's actually happening in some specific markets. So my guess is that's your experience as well. Well, I think I think what we've seen is it sort of precipitated the movement that we were already seeing to small business. And and again, like I referenced a second ago, people buying and selling small businesses is not a new phenomenon. Right. This has happened right. for decades. Right. I mean, this is the, a, a story as old as time. What's different and what we've seen in the last decade that we haven't seen to the extent before is a lot of times those small businesses, particularly in the trades and things like that, were, were um, going to skilled tradesmen, right? An HVAC person does an apprenticeship, they build a good career doing HVAC, then they eventually buy the company from their dad or their uncle or a, or a third party or whatever, and they continue on owning an HVAC company. What we've started to see is a transition where people working at Carlisle after getting a Harvard MBA are realizing, like, I'm killing myself on Wall Street. I can move back home to Watonka, Minnesota or, you know, where, wherever it is. Right. Buy an HVAC company for $4 million that's doing a million dollars of profit. I can be a CEO at age 29 and put my business skills to use. Uh, you know, buying and rolling up more HVAC businesses and build like a, a really interesting, sophisticated business uh, that I own 80% of, right? And and so we started to see that transition, which is what really turned on the small business buying market. And I think I think we're seeing and will continue to see that accelerate, right? As as this large cap market is sort of hitting a wall. You've got headlines every day of big tech laying off thousands of workers, right? right. Banks laying off thousands of workers. What are they going to go do, right? When, when they when they can leave Google, move out of San Francisco, and go back to South Dakota and and buy a roofing company for eight million dollars and great quality of life for their family uh, and you know incredible income and use an SBA loan that's guaranteed, you know, requires little money out of pocket. Uh, it, it's, it's an amazing opportunity. And we're just, we're seeing more and more people wanting to do this. A lot of younger people, a lot of different profile than, than we've seen in the past looking at these businesses. So from our perspective and where we're sitting, we're as busy as, as we've ever been. I mean, I, I worked late into the night last night on transactions. I, we've got, dozens of transactions actively going in our in our in our firm and and kind of no no side of that slowing down even while the MA market more broadly has sort of fallen off a cliff so it's a it's a really interesting inflection point it's fascinating i as i i've got so many thoughts rolling through my mind what one of those thoughts being you just made that sound really appealing i'm i'm, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> announcing now that we're shutting down no. um <laughs> terrible idea chad <laughs> I, it, it just sounds really appetizing. Uh, and, and, and I can see exactly what you're talking about. You're, they are. They're killing themselves on Wall Street. They're working at 
uh, firms where they're grinding out 80 hour work weeks for, for an income and, and no ownership. And, you know, uh, but these are high potential people with you know, strong capabilities who are willing to work 80 hour weeks. So if they're going to go work an 80 hour week, why not own it? And, uh, you well, know, and, and, and I think that's the biggest not working 80 hour week. Right? I, I think that's the biggest differentiator, Chad, with like who is really successful at doing this. Right. Because it's really easy for me, especially as a service provider, to come on a podcast and make this sound like this is like the next gold rush. Right. right. Like this is just the amazing. Like, why would you not be doing this? Well, you know, your your listeners are probably listening to me like laughing, saying like, yeah, I want to see that Harvard business grad when two of his roofers call in sick and he's right. got to climb up three stories and start, you know, hammering nails through a roof. Like then then let's see how your Harvard business. Grad. Totally. And totally valid criticism. And, yeah. and and we see that a lot, too, of sort of people coming off of Wall Street and out of these traditional like banking and and, you know, kind of big tech jobs of like. I'll buy an HVAC company. Like how hard could this be? Right. Like, you know, uh, plink down a small, small down payment and, and be printing money only to find out hundred hour work weeks and, you know, managing people and managing customers and marketing. And you get that bad review on Google and Yelp. And all of a sudden you're triaging, you know, bad PR and, and, you know, a, a, a lot yeah. of our clients, are in for a rude awakening by the same token. I mean, look, arrogance is always a bad leadership trait. <laughs> you know, so so if it, you know, it's it's what I think where you're going with that is to say that the people who are really going to be successful, they possess a certain mindset, they possess possess a certain work ethic. And, and have you actually have you seen some of this play out and, and have any perspective on that? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and and you 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 can start to kind of pick out when you when you meet people and hear from people like that's going to be interesting to see where that one goes or you know you know this gal's going to do something incredible right like you can you can start to see these yeah. personality traits of kind of who's got the tenacity to do it right like yeah you've got the book and finance smarts but you've also got the the people skills you're able to, you know, interview and, and, you know, kind of manage people and things like that, which is just so much different from, you know, being an analyst on wall street or whatever. Um, we actually see a lot of people with the same profile, highly educated, highly qualified people, uh, but that are veterans, right? Like this yeah. is such a popular space for veterans to get into because all of a sudden they come out of Wharton and Harvard and whatever, and like great business backgrounds, but they've got that work ethic and, yeah. and team building and leadership skills that they developed in the military. Um, every time I meet any of those, uh, you know, men and women, it's, it's like, I'm, I'm like immediately jazzed. Like these guys are going to do something yeah. incredible. Cause it's like the perfect storm of that amazing work ethic, the tenacity, the willingness to roll up sleeves and like clean toilets in your commercial cleaning business when someone calls in sick, uh, even while your real skill set is in, you know, advanced financial analysis and forensic accounting. Well, and that's, uh, and that's ultimately, it's what it takes to be successful as a small business owner, period. And, and yeah. is, is, you know, that, that is the, that's the barrier to entry. The barrier to entry for being an entrepreneur is, a willingness to do whatever it takes exactly right. to be successful. So I want to shift gears. That's our audience, right? Our Absolutely. audience are our contractors. They are, there are lots of business owners. There are lots of second generation up and coming or third generation up and coming business owners, folks who are going to be a part of this, um, you know, landscape who are part, you know, who, who are uh, in our audience. And then there are lots of 
um, high potential people who right. are working inside the industry who one day probably will have, uh, you know, either an ownership share in the business they're working in or maybe someday, uh, you know, a business of their own. And what and what we've been talking about to this point is perhaps a kind of, um, you know, surprise uh, type of buyer that we weren't even thinking about. Let's talk a little bit more to the sell side, to the, to the people who are looking to, uh, you know, get their business ready for sale. Who, what, what do you, what's the number one, oh, not number one, I'm not going to peg it, peg it like that. But what are the, <laughs> what are the things, what are the things that um, you would be uh, really focused on? Let's pretend you owned a drywall contractor uh, today and yeah. you knew that you wanted to create an exit five years, 10 years, somewhere in that uh, time frame. What are the things you would be doing to position yourself for exit? Yeah, I mean, and and timeline becomes so important because it changes if if your personal circumstances are such that like you're going to eye a, a very soon exit versus I want a long longer term five or ten year strategy, right? Yeah. That that's going to inform what you do. Um, so I, you know, I'm as a seller, I'm thinking about a lot of things, but. First and foremost, I'm thinking about maximizing value, right? And all of these businesses generally trade on a multiple multiple of EBITDA, right? And if you're not familiar with that term, it's earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. It's, a, it's another way of saying, it's a big, long, complicated way of saying profit. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a profit metric that's derived yep. from your, your, your financial statements. Yep. Um, and all of these businesses trade on a multiple of that number, right? So if you uh, if if you're two and a half million dollars of of EBITDA, you know profit, whatever you will will we'll do profit to keep it simple. Yep. You know two and a half million dollars of profit, um, and you're going to be eyeing a five x multiple, right? You're looking at a twelve and a half million dollar exit, right? Yep. I'm, I'm just I'm picking easy low round numbers. Um, the the first thing I'm thinking of is what can we do obviously honestly and above board and and we can get to that in a second but what can we do to maximize that value right and there's really only two things you can do right you can increase revenue and you can decrease expenses um got it so so pause there you're saying the 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 uh if if our focus becomes how do i boost that 2.5 how do i get that 2.5 to be 4 how do i get it to be 6 in, right. in above board you know legal ways um, uh, you can boost revenue or cut expenses. That's right. Yeah. Yep. I mean, th those are, those are essentially your, your two choices. Now, how you go about doing that, you've got a million choices, right? Um, back to what I'm talking about. Part of that strategy could be roll up more businesses. Acquisitions. Right? Yep. You, you could find, you could expand to a new state and go, if you're a roofing company in Nevada, go buy a roofing company in Utah. Uh, if you're a roofing company in Reno, go buy a roofing company in, in Las Vegas, uh, organic growth. You're a roofing company in Reno, uh, you know, open another, you know, another branch in Las Vegas or, or, or whatever, whatever it may be. So you can, you can increase your revenue by expanding your territory, right? Yep. You can do a marketing push to increase, um, just revenue through your current operations. You know, there, there, there are, a, a a number of ways you can go about that that become very tactical from a business perspective, you know, le less from a legal perspective. So, you know, uh, some someone like Chad is probably a better situated for for that answer than I am. But uh, 
Um, but, uh, you know, then the flip side, your expenses, right? Where can you start to optimize and streamline, particularly as your organization grows in complexity, right? So one of the things we talk a lot with clients about who are in growth mode, uh, eyeing, you know, that five to 10 year exit with a roll-up strategy, you know, again, back to this acquisition strategy, once you start to add more entities, right? You're that Nevada roofing company, and then you go buy a, a second roofing company yep. in Utah, all of a sudden you've got two companies who probably have their own sales function. They probably have their own bookkeeping function. They probably have their own uh, kind of scheduling function and things like that. They're all using their own softwares. What sort of optimization is there to get on the same platform, right? To have a unified back office where all the phone calls for both entities are going into. So now instead of six employees in each location, you know, so 12 across two, you've got one back office call center with eight people, right? Yeah, so sort of sh shared GNL. Your shared service model. Yeah. Exactly right. Um, very, very common way we work with clients in, in growth mode, trying to kind of maximize and grow their top line revenue um, in a way that's going to increase their profitability to, to be uh, to be looking for exit. So that that's probably the number one thing I'm, I'm looking yeah. at. If you, uh, if you, if you want to, the first thing you're focused on is maximizing that profit number. And if you want to maximize that profit number, make sure you have compelling growth strategies, make sure you have really, really effective, efficient um, cost management strategies Precise. so that you're, you know, again, you're maxing that profit number. So, you know, here's one of the things that I, spend a lot of time uh, working on and talking about, but I really sincerely wonder how much this comes up in acquisition sure. conversations that you're a part of. Um, uh, I'm, I'm always telling the, the founder, typically founder yeah. or, or whoever's leading current the, owner, yeah. current owner. Yep. Good. Um, I'm always telling them, Look, you can lead all of this strategic expansion. You can come up with all the ideas of buying the, the roofing company in Utah. You can be the big picture deal maker and, and you can, you know, right, you can uh, be, be the brain and the energy and the manager behind all of that work. But what you have got to make sure is that you are not personally central to any of the day-to-day -day operations. <laughs> um, can, I, uh, can I get standing ovations? Is that is that a lot? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. As long as the camera will follow, yeah, <laughs> that's um, right. But you know, and and so because my thought process is, and what I've seen play out too many times is that it's not an exit at all. It's actually just selling your business to become an employee in the business. <laughs> that's a hundred percent right. It, it's it's either that or it's diminishing your value because guess what your buyer has to do when they evaluate those financials in order to determine the purchase price of the business, they all of a sudden have to replace you yeah. and you're not necessarily a salary line in the P and L, right? So all of a sudden your profitability dips down because they, they look at the business and say, with the amount of work you're doing, I got to pay $300,000 to two other employees, right? A general manager and, and whatever to replace how integral you are to this business. $300,000 on a 5X multiple, that $12.5 million business just dropped by a million and a half dollars. It's now an $11 million business, right? Yeah, right. So, well, I was just going to say, and, for, and furthermore, I don't even know if those two dudes can do the job. Those exactly. two people that we're talking exactly. about bringing in, I don't even know if those people can do the job.
Exactly right. Yeah, I, I, in fact, I think I even have a YouTube video where I, where I talk about exactly this issue. I mean, you are, you are a hundred percent spot on. Um, it, it, the one of the other, you know, the the second thing I would have said, and you you beat me to the punchline, is you have to make sure that your enterprise can run without you. Yeah. Um, otherwise, too much value gets left on the table, um, and and it's just it's it's unbelievably important particularly if you have that longer term uh, vision and the ability to kind of strategically plan out five or 10 years. That's not to say three months from now, all of your sales and all of this and all of that need to be off to other employees, right? You, you've got the benefit of time to kind of work on a transition plan. But if you aren't strategic about implementing that transition plan, you're going to find yourself three down the, you know, three years down the road doing exactly the same thing with nothing transitioned and working a hundred hours a week and, you know, the, the business will fail if you take vacation. Uh, it's, it, it just, it, it makes you unacquirable. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Uh, so, uh, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll make a, a kind of a statement here that you, I, I don't want you to agree with me on if, if you, you know what I mean? Right. Like really, fair, fair enough. Really, uh, no, no, um, no worries. No standing ovation on this one. No, well, hey, or standing ovation, and then I'll be, I'll be like, hey, two for two. Uh, but, but no, I, I think um, I personally feel like we are in a golden era for what you're talking about right this very moment, and that we are not going to be in this golden era for for um, more than a decade. I think, I think the next five to 10 years really is a, a critical time for the small contractor in specific, the construction industry, right? Like leaving out yep. all of the other small businesses and yep. but it, for, for the small contractor to make a decision to either get big and start to, uh, you know, modernize and uh, pull in, uh, you know, efficiency creating technologies and things that will enable you to bring the same level of quality uh, and drive down costs because that's what's going to be happening. The bigger companies are going to have a, a lower. Yeah, it's I know it's it's kind of surprising to people, but they're actually going to have lower overhead, and that there there's really compelling reasons to think that that is going to be coming uh, down the tracks. And so they'll they'll if you're a small contractor, I think you're in a window right now where you've got to either get big or you should really really consider selling uh, before the window kind of closes on the little guy. Uh, right. and, and I don't know, maybe that's alarmist and maybe 20 years ago, people were saying the same thing. I don't know. I wasn't doing this 20 years ago, only 15 years ago, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I would say over the past, really over the past five years, I, this sense has, has really grown for me. Um, I, I just wonder what your take is on that. No, I, th I, th I mean, I think you're right. Um, you know, I mean, this, this stuff goes in cycles, right? So the, the, tr the transition will always be there. Construction will always be there. I do think we're in an interesting moment with just the, the sheer volume of kind of the retiring baby boomer generation yep. that overwhelmingly owns and runs small businesses, right? Small businesses are not as popular with millennials as they are with baby boomers. They're, it's just not, right? The, the numbers don't bear that out. Um, so there's a lot more value tied up in 55 to 70 year old business owners right now than there are 25 to 45 year, year old owners. And so we are in a really interesting inflection period with that kind of generational shift as, as the, that generation is, is eyeing the next phase of life and, and looking to retire. 
um, there's more value that we see changing hands over the next decade um, than there has been in several decades past and, and very well maybe for several decades in the future. So I, I, I think you're spot on. I, you're I, looking I, at it from a, through a different lens, but the, but the lens agrees. Like exactly. My exactly. lens is the construction industry is not going to reward you for staying small in the next 10 years. Your lens is um, the, 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 the sheer amount of need to exit is um you know it's it's going to drive a lot of that consolidation anyway yeah exactly yeah. right because and because with the next generation behind the baby boomers just is less interested in being an entrepreneur that's right that's right and, and an interesting um and i know we're, we're coming up against the wall here but i, I think it bear, bears saying and and because and, there's probably people listening or that will be listening in, in this boat um you know, that there are a lot of opportunities to roll up these businesses where you don't have to fully exit, right? And so mm -hmm. there, there are a lot of people who hit a wall in their business um, and, and are, and are um, self-aware enough to admit, I've hit a wall, right? I may be really great roofer, but I'm terrible at finance and marketing. And, I, and, and, and I'm not going to get to that next level without partnering with, with people that can take me there. We do a lot of transactions where businesses like that, a $10 million roofing business gets rolled up into a micro private equity fund or something that wants to do one of these consolidation models yep. and will use that business and owner and give them equity 30% of the fund or whatever to be the operating partner for those finance and business partners that want to grow that model. And I always tell people that resist that, right? A hundred percent of $10 million is not as great as 30% of a hundred million dollars. Yep. And so it, it you know, that's a, a different way to be thinking about a lot of people think about exits, exits as true full exits. I own a hundred percent of my business. I'm going to sell it and leave and own 0%. But there, there's even other ways um, to, to be part of this sort of consolidation that you're talking about that you, you kind of have no choice to either get bigger, um, or, or, or not, um, you know, it, it doesn't mean you have to get out of the business there. There's really unique opportunities to kind of roll up into these bigger enterprises and, and continue with your business, take a smaller piece of equity in a much, much larger pie and still do really well for yourself for the next 10 or 20 years. Man, that is a fantastic perspective to add to that. It's, it's not all or nothing. And, uh, totally. and there are lots and lots of avenues. Um, so we, we, in the, in the startup world, it's called the founder's dilemma and founders notoriously hate giving up equity until yeah. they can realize a hundred percent of $5 million is terrible in comparison to 50% of a hundred million dollars. And That's right. once they can get past that, they realize wow, there's a lot of, of value to be gained by bringing in partners and outside capital and outside expertise. And, and you know, anyway. These closely held family businesses, man, it's, that is the construction industry. There's a I, lot of minds to change. and a I lot see of it every day. Yeah. I see it every day. Um, yep. All right, Stacy. I know we have uh, questions from the audience. Let's try to cover uh, at least a couple of these before we have to wrap it up. Okay. Um, Apologies to who this is because on my front, it just is saying LinkedIn user. So <laughs> are there any classes out there that can help the young tradesmen understand the path to business ownership? So I'm going to, I'm going to take a quick stab at like just clarifying this one. Another layer for you, Kevin is just, I, there are um, 
I have watched personally on several different occasions, clients of mine where the, the owner is actively looking to create a succession opportunity yep. inside their business and they can't find anybody who wants to own it. Yep. And I think a major part of the, of that, of the reason they can't find anybody who wants to own it is they don't know what it means. It's all extraordinarily stressful. The, the mere thought of owning the business looks hard. That dude's making it look hard, not easy. Right? <laughs> you know, the owner is not making this look easy or fun. Um, are there, what, what, where would you put these, what kind of education can, can, you know, people pursue to help them to understand what it is to be a business owner and, and to, and to get into that, you know, um, mindset where it's not scary. hundred percent. And it's a great question. Um, you know, there, there's the obvious ones, right. Take, take some courses, whether or not it's a full degree or not at a, at a, at a, uh, university, right. Whether it's a, community college, university near you. What kind of courses? Yeah. Um, Anything on business, right? Any, any business courses on management and things like that. And you have to vet it out a little bit, right? Like if, if you're, if you live in Boston and want to go audit a course at Harvard business school, right, it's probably going to be way more academic than what you're talking about. But if you want to like learn more about business finance and how to understand financial statements and things like that, and you go to a local community college and audit a business finance course, you're probably going to get a lot better kind of hands-on practical, like here's what a balance statement or a balance sheet and a profit and loss statement is and how to read it and things like that. So you can start building those fundamentals. Um, I always tell people who are kind of new and thinking about transitioning into business and business ownership, 100% the best skill that you can develop is accounting. And, and, uh, if people want to disagree with me, feel free, hit comments, send me hate emails or whatever, but I, it's a hill I will die on. Um, accounting, accounting, accounting is your best friend. Um, and it's the gateway because accounting then opens up so many more of those questions that you don't even know exist. As you start to go through a profit and loss statement and you start to dig into, well, what makes up interest expense and things like that, that opens you into corporate finance and how you structure corporate finance. You know, what is your, what is your employee overhead line item and your, your wage costs and things like that, that gets you into all sorts of employee taxation questions and how, uh, how to structure employees versus independent contract, right? In addition to just having the raw financial knowledge of knowing how to know what profitability is and things like that. It's, it's a gateway to so many more of those additional questions to learn managing a business. And so it, uh, it, again, it's a hill I'll die on accounting, accounting, accounting. Okay. (laughs) You sound like McKinsey. That's right. right. (laughs) Uh, Um, Let's get in one more. Can you, okay. One more. Yeah. Well, can you speak to the way technology is helping position companies for sale or to sell? Yeah, that's that's such a a great and interesting question, particularly because my practice is mostly buy side. And so 80% of the time I'm representing buyers. And I will tell you one of the number one value adds that buyers look at when looking at a target business 
is the ability for better technology implementation and optimization. And I can't tell you the amount of times I've closed a $10 million commercial landscaping deal where the customer records are handed over in a spiral notebook that's written in pen and pencil by the owner where he's scheduling appointments, right? No CRM, no technology. And, and, and it's those types of things where a, a reasonably sophisticated buyer looks at and is like, oh my God, there's probably 30% more customer conversion and upsell I can do just by having a good CRM and the ability mm -hmm. to track like customers and, and leads and things like that better. So flip that to the sell side. What does that mean for you, right? This takes me back to what I was saying earlier. The, the first thing I would be thinking about is how to increase your revenue and decrease your expenses. I mean, there's one of the best things you can do to drive value over the next you know, a couple of years, optimize a new website, right? Make sure you're using high quality CRM, right? That, that lowers your employment, your employee overhead costs because you're implementing uh, technology tools. Um, uh, you know, there, there's buyers are always looking for that value where they can buy on a lower multiple and implement that technology to get the value themselves. If you're able to implement it as a seller, um, I, I'm honestly, the, the numbers are crazy. I, we, I follow up with sellers all the time, four or five, six months after closing that are like, man, we just, we just hit 40% additional revenue over last year, just by like kind of injecting some new life, revamping the website and deploying some technology. Um, and just, just think of what a 40% increase in top line revenue over the next year or two would do to your multiple if you were the one implementing those technology changes. So that was a very long answer to say technology is at the heart of driving that first thing I said you should be looking at and mm -hmm. increase your profitability. It's the lowest hanging fruit in most businesses out there. I, I, I absolutely love it. And I think for, for contractors, the, the constant balancing act is how do I grow the top line and still be able to perform that work? Um, exactly. and, uh, and technology can play a role in, in helping to helping to expedite that, helping to make yep. that, you know, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a balance, it's a balancing act. And, you know, the same strategies don't work for everyone. I'll tell you in our law firm that we run virtually, you know, a lot of, a lot of even small law firms, we're seven lawyers, a lot of law firms like that pay a receptionist 40, $50,000 a year. I have an electronic receptionist that costs me $9 and 99 cents a month. Right. The automated AI voice, right? Like, like think of what that does to our profitability if we're thinking about exiting. Right. And so th those are the, those are the things to be looking at, um, uh, you know, things like that are tough though. Right. I mean, you're, you know, at, at that point you're cutting a, a, an employment spot, right. You know, uh, a lot of business owners have a lot of allegiance for better, or for worse to their employees. They want to see their employees taken care of. So again, not one size fits all for all cases. And I'm not necessarily saying profitability is the end all be all. Um, but it, it is a very, very important factor when you're eyeing exit and there are, are things you can do um, and, and, you know, things you can balance to improve that profitability. A very profitable company with a terrible culture will not be profitable for long. 100%. So, so, so 100%. all the choices that you make have to, have to always be counterbalanced with what's this going to do morale? What's this going to do to our team? Exactly. And, 
And so, all right, uh, I could literally talk to Kevin all day, um, and uh, and it, from the sound of it, your schedule would sort of accommodate that. Um, so that's, 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 that's right. I got no. no I'm, I'm, kidding. I'm I'm actually hemorrhaging with deals right now. I know you is, are uh, exciting and frustrating yeah, all the same I, time. I I, uh, I was just giving you a hard time because uh, of of, uh, of your partners. No, I, uh, I get it. Yeah. Lack of, but no, this is um, it. Really has been wonderful uh, to have this conversation. Super engagement from our audience. Um, uh, folks, if you are, uh, you know, in the audience now and you're like, I need more on this, uh, Kevin, how should people reach you? How should they reach out and, and connect with you if they want to, if they want to talk more? Yeah, I'm on, um, I'm on most socials at K Henderson co Instagram is the only exception where I'm dot co, but I, I 98% of the time I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, so message there, participate there, shoot me DM, you know, whatever. Then obviously, you know, uh, direct, uh, our, our website is smblaw.group. Uh, my email's Kevin at smblaw.group. Um, you know, don't, don't be a stranger. Uh, if, if I can be helpful, if I can answer questions, uh, what, whatever it may be, um, would love to, to hear from as many of your, uh, your, your, listeners and audience that would, would like to reach out. So, uh, well, I'll take you up on it. Uh, I have, I have a whole <laughs> bunch do. of things. I have a whole bunch of things I want to talk to you about, Kevin. I think, um, you know, what, what you do and what I do can link up, uh, just perfectly. So I look forward to doing that, um, uh, moving forward. So, uh, Stacy, is there anything else you want to say to Kevin before we wrap? No, it was a great discussion. If we have any list questions that we didn't get to in the chat kevin if you don't mind when we log off if you could answer them that would be really helpful yeah would love to all right thanks sweet yep. all right cool uh S kevin thanks again uh stacy let's do some wrap up here talk about next week uh we have um the same time obviously uh 9 a.m next tuesday we have episode 47 which is connecting uh vdc to business goals with darren young we're going to be talking about BIM and virtual design and construction and how to uh, overlay um, all of that stuff, not just for the benefit of building a, a better building and a more efficient, uh, you know, construction uh, phase, but also in ways that really, it, you know, further the business goals of uh, the reason that the, the building's being built in the first place. Darren's got a ton of experience to share with us spanning construction and manufacturing and uh, bringing those things together. And that'll be a, a blast uh, to, uh, to dig into with him. Um, as always, email us to be added to our weekly mailing list. We hammer this home and our mailing, mailing list grows every week. Uh, so please do, uh, uh, do that. And if you or someone, you know, has an important story to tell about creating positive change in the building industry, please reach out to us. Uh, you can email me, see Prinky at wellbuiltconsulting.com or Stacy H at steeltoecom.com. Uh, and we would love to consider that person for our upcoming season, which starts in the summer. Stacy, what have I left out? And if you're attending the NAWIC Spring Forum on May 6th, we'll be doing a live broadcast. Our season ends the end of April, but then the following week on a Saturday around 12 to 2, we're doing that live broadcast. Sorry, that no, it's Friday that we're doing the live. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, Sorry it's, Friday about that. That it's all good, but but well, well, uh, that that uh, the NAWIC conference in Washington D.C. If you're there, stop by uh, the booth, jump on the show, uh, make it awkward. We'd appreciate it. <laughs> all right, thank you so much, uh, right. Stacey. Anything else? That's it. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Have a great week, guys. Yeah.